ATX Artist Social listeners, thank you for tuning in to episode 10, season 3 of the ATX Artist Social podcast. I am your co-host Tyson Davis, and along with me we have Lolita Rodriguez, Marta Diaz, and Damon Mosley. And we are your hosts. Due to COVID-19, we are recording remotely, so please disregard any technical difficulties. On the line with us today is Samara Barks and with Mixed Hues uh, LLC, and we will be bringing her on later on in the show. But you know how we do. We got to catch up with the team, see how everything's been going. Um, recently, I know we had a travesty, and uh, we definitely have to <laughs> let our ATX well, artists social I wonder what it could be. <laughs> yeah, we have to let our ATX artists social listeners know that one of our team members had an accident. Uh, it was not <laughs> fatal, but we were public. all concerned. And um, ATX Artist Social listeners, Damon, uh, he had a, a short stint in the ER. Damon, how are you, brother? How are your injuries? How are you holding up? Uh, well, it was a couple of days ago, so um, I'm, I'm kind of getting used to it now. I ain't, I ain't better. I'm gonna be, it's going to take me a minute, but I'm getting used to it. So I'm starting to, I'm starting to get the... Uh, <laughs> This is something I didn't know happened. I, I, I've never been, uh, I've never broken a bone or anything before. So I'm starting to get the, uh, the chafe underneath the yeah. armpits from the, from the crutches. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> so the Did crutches. Did you ever notice rubbing. the people that wear crutches, they be putting them fucking washcloths in between? <laughs> yeah. I never knew what any of that was about. Like some of them wear like gloves and stuff. They'll have like the motorcycle yeah. rider gloves on. Yeah. I mean, it's all making sense now. Yeah. Hey, but before, before, our listeners, um, they don't know exactly what happened. Damon was in the uh, process of installing a sign, right? And uh, oh yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I was hustling, trying to get a little, trying to get a little extra paper. You know, I mean, I'm usually, you know, I usually work on uh, doing like a, either fine art or clothing or something like that. But I do have a. a uh, some sign skills, some sign hand lettering skills in my toolbox. And so uh, this uh, small business gave me the opportunity to offer me the opportunity to do a sign for them. And I was like, you know what, I'll take a little quick like side gig. It was only like a couple of days. Um, worth of work and uh, that side gig took the whole turn. turn oh yeah yeah it now yeah. turned <laughs> turn, yeah, turn from a side gig. gig to an upside down gig because i was yeah, up on a, uh, was up on the ladder and so i feel like like i kind of i had a feeling we was going to talk about this and so this is something that i kind of wanted to get it get into or at least touch on a little bit in in the podcast because i feel like um this kind of speaks to what we all do right a lot of us are like muralists and you know we do like a lot of public art and stuff like that and I'm, I hope y'all are all a little bit more uh, focused than I am when you're out there doing your work but just a, let let me be a, a example or a reminder that let's always you know you know safety first double check like I think this time I got caught um, making the, the the big mistake of not double checking the security of my ladder before going up I was in a rush to get the paper and wanted to finish the job I feel like that may have contributed to uh, may have the ladder coming it out from under me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it contributed obviously so, you failed so, I mean <laughs> you know, yeah, let's not forget came back, huh? yeah yeah oh I, I, I was I was uh, reflecting on all the, all the ladder safety rules and stuff while I was laying there on the ground bleeding <laughs> you know what I thought was foul about everything that happened to you 
Not only did Damon, how he went about telling us he was in the ER was oh, the yeah. foulest shit ever. So he shows <laughs> us a painting that's in the hospital. And he's all like, Martha, I think that you should be doing hospital art. And we're like, oh, okay. He's all like, this is a way of me telling you that I'm in the ER. We're like, what? <laughs> because none of y'all gave a damn. Y'all was just like, oh, okay. Now, because you both the fact did. that I just said I'm in the ER. Y'all was just you know like, why? Hey, you know why? was like, yeah, Every you know what? There's so much to look into. And moved Hold on. on. Every time we have a meeting with you, you're at the hospital getting checked for something, like for COVID and stuff. So we're thinking yeah, yeah, just yeah. another, we just thought it was another checkup. Yeah. Guys, the world is a dangerous place. You gotta be, I'm, I'm at the hospital. Y'all should be there too. I, mean, I gotta check up on these STDs. Nah, I gotta get check COVID. They're not even gonna let here. us in there. Damn it. Damn it. I'm gonna be straight up. I love you to death, fool, but I'm not going to the hospital unless you're dying. <laughs> <laughs> y'all wouldn't even, y'all didn't even ask me if I was in the hospital. I was just like, oh, you in the emergency room looking at art? Yeah, Martha was like, you know what? Yeah, I should do something like that. Martha's right, been doing this hospital art in here, and we're supposed <laughs> to be like some magicians and calculate. I thought y'all, was, I, I was waiting for y'all to be like, well, why are you in the ER? Nobody but gave no, no. That's what it was. No, that didn't happen. Oh, Damon's in the ER? Cool. I mean, I saw the I saw the lives that you were doing the sign, right? And I and I was thinking right. to myself, oh yeah, that's cool, you know. Oh, did he live and fall? Did he live? No, no, no. He wasn't installing Damn, no. it as he was as he was creating it. I saw oh, you creating it live. <laughs> so you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't put nah, two, and two together guy, that he was he was in the ER because of this big ass sign that he was painting. You know, I had I didn't put the two and two together until you know that later information came out. Like epic, if it was just like Damon talking about this sign, it's just like. <gasps> <laughs> like part of me wouldn't mind having like have had have, having have had it recorded i don't know what happens so. <laughs> i'd be watching that thing in slow motion and be like oh okay you need a playback at that moment is where i yeah, fucked up i could have used the instant replay to see or how they play that fucking like, slow ass music and it goes black and gray it's like I would definitely would have did that to the video, Damon. If it would have been live, I would have been the foulest human being on the planet because I would have been mm. recreating this shit so many times and making fun of your ass. She'd have had the Mario Brothers coins for flying yeah. out. <laughs> and She'd have had Nate Robinson. She'd have had special effects on the Patreon. Right. Special videos. <laughs> She'd have had him looking like Nate Robinson in the meme. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what was funny? But mentioning speaking of the Nate Robinson thing, I have been clowning Nate Robinson all week by getting knocked out. Hey, look, <laughs> I've been talking about how Nate Robinson got knocked out all week. <laughs> you know what I would have done? <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of. I was who, like, who damn, was, Nate got me back. He, who did he fight? Who did he fight? Some uh, YouTube, YouTuber. Some YouTube guy. Like okay, I would have made the side oh, of the YouTube guy as I made Damon. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. So, so to our ATX started social listeners, just so y'all know, stay safe. Double check yes. your ladder. Make sure that they're secure. Uh, you don't want to end up like Damon. So, you know, let let us take him as a as a uh, as an example and make sure that we're safe out there when we're installing our murals. All of that good stuff, right? Um, Martha, I I know that lately has been a lot of time for you to be creating. Have you been creating some resin art lately? Let us know about some projects that you've been working on lately. I have. Um... I've kind of been pushing 
so for the posts that we've been doing for the ATXR social, normally I have to do about two or three a day. This, uh, for these 12 days, I only have to do one. So it's been helping me like have more time for resin art. So I've been working on, do you remember the, like the universe baby, like the galaxy baby I showed you before? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. It's getting so heavy. Like it's, I don't know, because I go layer upon layer and I'm trying to sculpt it to where it has like this where it actually looks like the baby's kind of like sticking out. I'm just, I'm sitting here like as I'm creating it, I'm trying to think of how it's going to be displayed too because of the of the weight. Yeah, you saw how Muzak had to do that heaviest one. It had to be like mounted to the ground. In order yeah, I had to, to ask him. Out. I asked him for a couple of tips on what he would do with his mosaic pieces because they're so heavy like the not the ones that are actually applied to the wall mm -hmm. uh, the place for that would be the maternity ward I'm trying to get you to the <laughs> hospital <again. laughs> I'm trying to get to this it's, hospital money man you from maternity ward but I feel like this piece can be taken by so many different people that can also be a very dark piece like it could be a very hopeful piece a very a very like wanting you to think about the future but it also a lot of it kind of came from a lot of people when I was having like when the idea kind of popped in my head creating it I kind of started thinking about it since I was pregnant with my kid and I had a lot of people around me lose their babies so it's kind of like a rainbow baby type future hope for future type and it's an emotional piece so I don't know if I want to put that on maternity ward while everybody else is like waiting for their hope and what their thoughts and I'm an overthinker. You never know. People might not take it as that. You have to realize that how everybody mm -hmm. takes in your art is completely different. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, but it's always somebody to get the art. Money is money. Like, look, I don't care if it's Planned Parenthood. I don't care if it's uh, the regular hospital. Just put the thing up, man. Get paid. Right on. Pops. <laughs> yeah. Pops. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have several pieces. So that's, that one's definitely more of... of uh, personal? Yeah, a little more yeah. personal. But I definitely have more that are, are also Galaxy Universe themed. Um, I'm expanding out of that, but I'm also, like, I'm always everywhere. So keeping everything cohesive is can be a struggle for me as well so that's something that I'm learning how to do with resin and I might have to step out of resin a little bit to kind of pick up other tricks that I can throw back into resin make it more lightweight you know being an artist scientist as you can say trying to figure out what works what doesn't work take notes think about how it could work it <laughs> don't overthink it never overthink it you know I, I, I had to understand that like artists is meant to pull feelings out of people you know people feel art they don't necessarily like you're see never gonna, you're never gonna feel like you're done ever that's mm. true you're never that is like done. very true sometimes yeah. i have to like completely like walk away from projects like i already know that like i can do more but then i'm just uh, like someone's gonna like this i, I like, think that's the beauty of having someone buy it and it be commissioned up to a certain uh like a timeline because it forces you to stop it forces you to be like okay it's time for it to go do you think that, that also like helps with uh money wise too because you already know what money you made on it so then you know how much costs so that kind of like narrows you down too i noticed that too when i do commit I get commissioned for certain I, things. I feel like when you first starting out, um, if you make one or two pieces for yourself, but calculate everything you put into it from the beginning, you'll kind of have an idea of how much the next piece can cost based on the size. Most definitely. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I do. I, and, you know, I can't wait to see when you actually finish that thing and we can post that on the ATX Started Social Instagram and all that. It's, you know? it's a, one thing about resin is because it's so reflective, it's really hard to take a good photo. Yeah, so it might have to be a video. 
video. It, yeah, it's going to definitely have to be a video. There's so many times I'm watching Martha struggle taking pictures with of these method pieces <laughs> that it's unreal. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, this is never going to look good. <laughs> what you do? And, and that's a problem, too, with resin art, which is why I want to kind of, like... I want to bring up something as a suggestion to you, too, Martha, but I'll bring it up more after we get into the podcast, because I think it's going to relate to our uh, feature, too. So right. I'm going to bring well, Lola, it Well, Lola, I've been checking out Lola's Classic Babies, and I saw yeah. you got some new fabrics in. You know, you want to talk about some of those new fabrics? Yeah, fab, the fabric world has been my personal nightmare because when uh, quarantine happened and COVID happened, everybody like dusted off their sewing machines and everybody turned into a seamstress. So it was like, I mean, you know how Black Friday house on the people, you see the people like clawing each other's eyes out for shit? It's been like that for fabric for the last like seven or eight months. Like I've literally had to, as soon as someone comes in, what fabric stores are doing now is like they're only opening for short period of times because they're getting just overran by people buying so much that they're opening just like a two hour window. So I've been, I have all these timers set on my phone. So that's like you looking through 3000 sets of fabric and you have to be quick. Like I'm like literally, all right, this is what I need. So I need to go in and start just like fucking just scrolling through this really quick so I can pick a couple of them. And while you're doing that, people are buying the shit underneath you. Like if you don't go, like sometimes I'll go to the cart and halfway purchase my stuff and then go back and continue to look because I've had it to where I'm shopping through. And then when I go to the cart, they'll be like, it no longer exists. Like, someone already bought it. And I'm telling you, black fabric today is like the crack cocaine. If you can find black, like people would be out there sucking people up for black fabric. I swear to God, this is what I feel like is happening. It's like, I cannot find it anywhere. And it's just all like, who got that black fabric? You got that black fabric? What I gotta do for that black fabric? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's how I feel like this shit is right now. Because I'm just like, you go to the store, you remember how even Walmart, Walmart had like a huge like fabric and shit. That looks like a ghost town. They took people out that section. They're like, no one works that fucking section anymore because they were in there just cleaning that shit out. And then you're making these rinky-dink ass shit that you're sewing up and then I gotta compete with you because you're selling masks for fucking $5 and you're you're doing just hoe shit and I'm just like, oh my god, you just w- probably wasted all the fabric that you just beat me out of. And, me I, like- and I've seen some of these masks too and they only cover like the mouth. Like, yeah. what you used to or have like, like right here yeah. and shit. Or they're or like, this thing. Yeah, exactly. And then it's just like, there's a, there's like a method to everything to get everything smooth and a lot of people don't know that because they haven't sewn for a long period of time to make it look like there's no seams and like this is not fucking 15 pieces that I just cut up and just gave you. And so that to me is also disrespectful to my craft. So it's and like, you can I give people a full out. mask anyway and they just gonna wear it under their nose, yeah, put it on their chin. Do, it don't matter what kind. It could be an N95 with all the like 80, breathing 80, tubes 80, and everything. They gonna put the thing right here. Part of it. Baby stuff, I'm telling you, I was the only one in my lane. There might have been a couple of people that were in there whenever I had first started doing my whole entire business making custom baby stuff. But now it's like everybody's coming out the fucking woods. They're like, oh, let me uh, show you how to hand weave uh, baby blankets with fucking big ass yarn and shit. It's like, bitch, get out of here. Where were you? Two years ago. <laughs> 
Now you try to do COVID-19 projects and make a quick dollar because you ain't got no job no more. That's, it, it's like irritating. Like it's literally irritating the shit out of me. Like every time, and then people are just all like, oh, well, because you know, I have high prices because what I'm doing is on a higher end and I'm getting higher end things. But when I have see people undercutting me and then they still follow me on Instagram and then I see you trolling and shit, I want to say this out in this podcast. I see you. <laughs> don't think I don't. I fucking see you. But enough of that. It, it's a, it's weird. Yeah, it's a nightmare. I'm just going to tell you, it's a nightmare. I still enjoy it. I still think that I am doing pretty well for myself. Uh, I don't have any issues. I'm just going to convert to wholesale instead of doing the markets and stuff that we were doing before. It was just too time consuming and it's draining. You know, Tyson, you know now. Like this shit is draining doing markets. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, honestly, the the markets, man, I I mean, honestly, the markets are really valuable for the connections and like the who you meet. But as far as the vendors, the vendors can, I I can't see a vendor living off of the markets, you know, because it's just so tough. The markets do yield you a lot. I'm not going to lie. I've been in markets where I've cleared a thousand bucks. You know what I mean? And I barely paid to be in there. It really has to do with a lot of people don't know that you need to go to markets that are in an area with your demographic. If you go over there and you're there where your customer base, not everywhere your art's going to sell or your products are going to sell. And you really have to start thinking about that when you're choosing these markets, because it sucks going to a market that you spent money at and you barely covered it. Because you just, it's not that it wasn't saturated with people. Those people were just not your demographic. And that market doesn't bring the customers that you actually need in. So right on. Uh, and that's and big shout out to Soul Fuel Art uh, and, and Round Rock because they centralize the market for artists. You know, the, the, the patrons that are coming there, they are art lovers. They are coming there to buy art, you know. So I, I really appreciate an art market instead of being in a market where I'm competing with a jewelry maker that's selling trinkets for like $10, you know, like, uh, you know. And that's that, another that, thing that a lot of market managers don't think about. When you have someone there selling undercutting everybody's prices, no matter if the item's not the same, it still help hurts you no matter what. So you have to get everybody to be at the same price level whenever you're choosing vendors to be at the market. So then everything is at a competitive rate, no matter if it's different, no matter if the items are different, because if everybody's someone in, not saying exact same prices, but somewhere in the same price range, it helps everybody be able to get a sale because then people are that, not- That is price. almost important possible to control though you know it's not have- i'm not gonna tell you it's not because we it's used not- to, yeah no i used to be a market manager listen it's not hard to control the thing that gets a lot of market managers is that the people that are coming in you get more money of course than you can produce more so they're looking at more of a production instead of looking at it from the vendor aspect because a lot of them are not vendors so a lot of them don't vend themselves so they don't understand that dynamic unless the vendors are voicing it to them and a lot of vendors don't come up to the make mar- uh, managers say stuff that they have problems with they'll just be like oh it was a great market i make a little bit of money but you need to step out of that comfort zone and actually talk to these market managers and let them know like hey i can't compete with these prices because my prices are a little bit higher and then they'll actually take that in consideration a lot of them don't get told by the vendors so the only reason i know that is because i'm a vendor myself and and I'm a market. Ma- I was a market manager, so it's just like I understand that that's not getting related to the market managers, and they don't understand it because they don't run their small business. This is running the market is their business, right? That's how they get paid is running the market. But none of them really have a business where they've been selling. When you really start thinking about the people that are running these events.
event. Well, right on, right on. So shout out to Black Makers Market. Go ahead and give them a a, a quick shout out because <laughs> yeah. you know we we love how they do their thing. You know what I mean mm-hmm. and how they represent the, the African American entrepreneur. You know, so yeah, the trolls that, that better watch us. out too. Yeah, say, that, oh. say that again. Yeah, them fa- y'all fabric trolls out there. Y'all better <laughs> yeah. watch out. I see you. We you see might get jumped you. in the in the wall <laughs> fabric section. Y'all know I'm petty. We see you. You get stuck right, in the right, right. fabric section over some black fabric. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say we didn't warn you. Yo, man, uh, we've been checking out this artist that we have featured on the line with us. Uh, we have Samara Barks with Mixed Hughes LLC on the line with us, and we can't wait to talk to her, showcase her for this week. Um, so ATX Artist Social Team, can y'all help me? introduce and give a big welcome to Sam, Samara, Bark. Sam, what's up, what's up, what's up? What's up, Sam? Welcome to the show. How y'all doing? They're doing well. Welcome, well, I fell welcome, off a ladder, so. welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome. I, I love to start off the show by giving our ATX Artist Social listeners an understanding of where and where the roots are. Where are you from? Like, so we can get a sense of where all of this creativity is coming from. Where are you from, Sam? I'm from Detroit, Michigan, originally. Motown. Detroit. Yes. Yep. Born and raised. Um, but I've lived all over. Um, after high school, I went to school at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. Uh, spent some years in Pittsburgh and then headed down to Miami. Um, lived in Miami for about six years to get my graduate degree. Um, and after that, I ended up in Houston, Texas as a product designer and uh, photo real visualization artist. I went to school for 3D um, and technical 3D design. So that was my nine to five. I do like CAD work, 3D modeling, 3D renders and animation. Oh, nice, nice. And you know, so, guess what? we're all uh, Art Institute um Alumni, hello. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. What? Uh, no, we're not. We're, we're not, all no, not. just me, me, you, Martha, me and you. Okay. Martha. Okay. So I went to the one in Pittsburgh, which was the 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 first and oldest one, and they just yeah. Kind of, well, the whole thing just closed down, but. That's oh, another story. Really? Yeah, it, uh, art institutes are no more. Yeah, that's what I heard because, like, uh, I went to the art institute for uh, culinary, mm-hmm. and I still follow some of the chefs and stuff that I was under at the school. And um, one of the main ones, I think he was like the dean of the culinary part. He was like, "Oh, I'm going to a high school and starting to teach fucking culinary at a high school." I was like, "Dude, what happened?" And they were telling me that how they were shutting down the whole entire one in Austin, and that mm-hmm. was like a month or two months ago. It was recent. Yeah. They literally shut that down mm-hmm. recently. And that's like, earlier. Wow. So all you of know, them, one of them? All of them are closed. Damn. COVID must have got it. No, they just, um, they were sued a few times. EDMC, the, own, the, the owners of the art institutes, were sued for kind of, I guess, like... Um, Overpriced. Predatory practices. Overpriced. Yeah, predatory practices and looping kids into getting those big, high-interest loans. Yeah, and, I got um, some. Did you get the same letter that I got? I got some letter in the mail, um, and it was pretty much saying that... Uh, of course, uh, the Art Institute was getting um, a lawsuit against them for overcharging students for tuition and the price of materials and things of that sort. Because I, I ended up paying like 110 grand for uh, culinary school, right, for 40. Mm. And so, they were very high priced. <laughs> very, very high yeah. priced. And so they right. were saying that they were going to sue the uh, so, like, I didn't know if they settled or anything, but, like, I was supposed to be part of the lawsuit because I was one of the ones that, 
they considered because it was like they only sued him for a certain time period. Right. It was the mid mid to late two thousands. I'm too early. Yeah. I went to school from ninety seven to two thousand and two for the Art Institute Pittsburgh. Yeah, I went two thousand and nine to two thousand and thirteen. Yep. So you I, fell into that. Yeah, I fell right into that uh, category. So I never like I got the letter and I filled out the information or whatever. Then I never I haven't heard anything back. So I feel like they're still in some type of legal thing they are. about it. Uh, but yeah, it was crazy because whenever I got the, well, I mean, of course you think the school's fucking expensive in the first place. Like you're going to school and you're just like, this is high. But then I was just yeah. like, man, culinary school being 110 grand and then you can only get out and make $8 an hour. Like, yeah, it was ridiculous. You know, and the highest paying person in the kitchen only makes like 22, 25 bucks an hour. And that's a head chef. You know how long it takes you to fucking get there? Like that takes so long. So for them to charge that much for students to get their education, mm-hmm. There, do they do they have like job placement? Do they like no? They, like, no, they promised it, but they yeah, never they delivered on that. That yeah, was another. Never, that was another part. Yeah. yeah, they they kept telling you during school like once you do certain things that like weren't working on the projects with the school that that will lead to you having a job. But fuck no. And they, I, they, think, like, I think part of the mentality too was, but because you were technically being taught by a working professional. That was your way of, like, that was, I think that was some part of, of the mindset. Yeah, but some of those teachers, like, barely knew the curriculum. Some, uh, you know, some teachers had basically learned the curriculum and weren't much more experienced than some of the there students some, that were there. There were some of my chefs that didn't even have, like, a degree to teach. They were just chefs that were in the industry that came in. And some of them came from uh, Le Cordon Bleu. So mm. Le Cordon Bleu was here. It got shut down because they were not, they could they were promising credits that weren't real to students. Yeah, that was another issue with those for profit schools too. None of the credits transferred. Yeah. Like if you yep. wanted to go over to if you yeah. wanted to go to like full cell or Cal, Cal Arts, a lot yeah, of that didn't that's, transfer. That's another thing that the uh, Art Institute said to you when you first got there, like all your credits are transferable. They're like, Oh, these uh, yeah. credits you remember them saying that shit to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like all these credits transfer- yeah, they, all these credits are trans transferable lies all of it fucking lies like you know what i mean like because whenever i went to school there i transferred from there from medical school so i was in like a university before i had went mm-hmm. over there so like i didn't understand like i thought it was just a diff- different dynamic just because it was from a university into an institution so i was just like oh this is just because it's like a trade school instead of it being like a regular fucking institution or like a regular university. So I was just all like, okay, this is why this is different. But then to come to find out, it's like, nah, we're suing the shit out of these people. And they like, <laughs> all this shit that they were saying and doing that you were questioning that you've never heard of because they were right. making up shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, damn. <laughs> I mean, but I got a lot. I still got a lot out of it. I actually had a good guidance counselor who was like really real with me. Um, when I came, because, you know, I was 18, but she actually was honest with me. So even though it wasn't the college experience that I thought it was going to be, I still got a lot out of it. Um, the career that I have is not attributed to the Art Institutes because I worked my butt off and learned on many jobs um, yeah. and learned from other people in the industry. So they definitely didn't help place me in any of my 3D careers, like at all, any any of my creative jobs. So was, how, did you know, you, how did you go about getting into 3D? Um, 
my mom really my mom is an artist like she is pretty much one of the sole reasons for my creativity like she sculpted and airbrushed and painted and made her own clothes she taught us how to sew like she was just a very uh she was just very creative. Our household, you know, we were poor, but she made everything. Like, she made everything. <laughs> you needed it. My mom was like, hold on one second. I got it. She'd come back. That shit would be made. Um, yeah. So she so started. You never go without if you know how to make something. Nah, she made everything. So, you know. Hey, makes me hopeful for me. Like, my kids. <laughs> Don't worry, baby. I got you. I make right. Halloween costumes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, talk about homemade costumes. Yes. Right. Um, but I thought like that's the best shit ever. You didn't appreciate it when you were a kid. You didn't. Then when you got up, you're kind of like, yeah, my mom did that shit. That's all you wanted was a store bought. You wanted a store bought. Like, I want to be Cookie Monster, not, you know, knockoff Cookie Monster. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't want to be the knockoff Cookie Monster, you know? Right. (laughs) But. Um, yeah, we like, we would always watch Saturday morning cartoons, even though she worked two damn jobs to support okay, us. Okay, I have a question while you mentioned that. What uh, was your, like, fucking jam in the morning for your Saturday cartoon? What oh, so many, like, that's a Another hard one. Pin it down to one, damn it. I mean, and then it's different, you know, different decades before it went away. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I guess, that OG. I guess my, my OG one would be Thundercat. Thundercat? Thundercat. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. They were cats. so great. Thundercats. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, didn't Thundercats come on and right after Thundercats it was like G.I. Joe? Yep, it was G.I. Joe. And, and then yep. G.I. Joe. I know all of those because of my brother. Transformers. Yep. Transformers. Oh, and then all of them. Transformers, all those guys. E-Man. Mm-hmm. E-Man was the last one of that like lineup. Yeah. <laughs> that was the so, only thing I was allowed to watch television. Now we talking time. about like early 90s, right? We talking about like uh-uh. late 80s. No, 80s. 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 was the 80s, dude. Late 80s. Yeah, yeah mid to late 80s. Late 80s? Yeah. Yeah. If it was in the 90s, I would know. I would have watched way more. Mm-hmm. This, is, I, this is I, mid I to late 80s. Brother. Yeah, but look you know they got everything graphics. on like replay now, so yeah, a lot of people the, can look at the uh, graphics in Thundercats. It looks like <laughs> the aspect ratio is a square. It is not yeah. like widescreen. <laughs> when you That's know you're watching a show and it got the black bars on the end and on it looks side. fuzzy as hell, then you know it's early mid '80s because it, it didn't have an aspect ratio. They didn't have high yeah, definition. We didn't have those big ass TVs yet, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. You had a little square box, and that was what you watched. Or you had those. Uh, <laughs> TVs that look like a fucking like jukebox. It was we like had, my big grandma ass. had one, a big yeah, TV a big and a little TV on top of the big TV because <laughs> yeah, the big TV never worked. And it had a record player on one side. Yeah, yeah you ain't got a record player in your mm-hmm. TV. What is you doing? You, you a had a boy. record player yeah. in the TV yeah. that didn't work, and the little TV that she watched her soap operas on. All day. Yeah, if yeah, you can't I listen to the radio, if you can't tune the radio on your TV, you back then you was, <laughs> you ain't had nothing. <laughs> you ain't had nothing. You had to click down, the click, 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 nothing. Click down. <laughs> it makes me laugh because I had to I had to explain to my daughter what a radio was like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> I had to explain to her. She goes, "What is that?" She he was like, you old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you realize how old you are? Even talking to kids in their 20s. Like, I'm like talking to kids oh, yeah. in their 20s. I'm like, damn, I'm fucking old. 
<laughs> yeah, because they had cell phones. We like. We, oh we, yeah, no. Yeah, I had so landline. I had a landline. I didn't have a cell yeah. phone until I was a fucking adult. Because we, when we were kids, we had landlines. What they didn't know the struggle of someone being on the other side trying to listen to the conversation. No, <laughs> I still I started a landline in college. I still was rocking a landline yeah, in college. Or your mom picks up the phone in the middle of your goddamn conversation. How long are you gonna be on this phone? Right? <laughs> How you like? There's minutes. Like they're counting minutes. Hang up at nine o'clock. Yeah, right. like you need to get off this phone playing on my phone. I'm expecting you miss a call. A, you miss a call. You miss a call. You start sixty nine. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Answer machines. They don't know the. They don't know the beauty. They don't, they don't know the struggle. Trying to come home looking if you got a light on, looking to see if the light was blinking. <laughs> mm-hmm. No caller ID. I mean, I they think being able to grow up man. with like a smartphone like these days. Like I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking about like uh, my daughter and stuff, and like growing up with like a smartphone. Like it's. It, it, I think it's just gonna like that's just gonna alter like the human race. Cause yeah, all the things yeah, that you it, can do like has. young, yeah, like you yeah. can't like you can't pull nothing over on young kids no more. Like <laughs> they'll Google it. They're not buying none of the shenanigans. Yeah, they Google think it. about stuff we don't even think about. Like they into politics and stuff like all early. Like we ain't even know what to do. We couldn't find out about politics unless we wanted to stay up with the old folks and watch the news. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and to that point, Damon, like I think it affects the memory also because when we didn't have smartphones, we had to remember all of our friends phone numbers mm-hmm. like you had to remember every number that well, you, you had you that address book or you had the addresses or the mail yep, the little black book yep oh. I had the address book I had a phone book yep, little yep. phone number book because you remember I had every, my- every phone every landline phone came with that little b square where you could put like four phone numbers and you had to figure <laughs> out who you want who'd you want on that fucking list and it's like man who I'm gonna call all the time? And the important, the important, important numbers. Right. Get your top four up there. Yeah, and then have you always, anytime you went out and played, you always have to have your parents' number on a piece of paper in your fucking pocket. It's yeah. just like you going somewhere. Here's here's the number. Here here's the number. It's like, or do you remember the number? Or how they made you recite the number over and over again so you can fucking remember? Right, oh, like yeah. a dog tag in case something happened to you. They reach in your pocket and find right. that number. Uh-huh. <laughs> or they write it in your underwear and shit. Like what kind of? I was all like, yeah. I write my name and make you get separated from the rest of your clothes. Right. <laughs> Who's gonna get here? And it's just right. like, what would be so foul is like you'll see moms checking like the back of the underwear. Like, oh, this is a uh, little Bobby from. <laughs> Right. Put him in a box and ship him back. Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. They do check it like that, right? Like through the back yeah. of the underwear and stuff on the mm-hmm. tag. Yeah, the on the Remember your name was on all of your shit like that. Remember? And it was on the back of your fucking underwear. I had never seen them. You think shirt? Put up the shirt on, but I guess little boy. Like I know they do that like in kindergarten when you used your the restroom on yourself. But this was like definitely as you're getting older and growing. No, up. Girl, I remember me riding a bike and I. <laughs> and I'm like, Somebody checking your underwear. Where you, who you belong to? Lola yeah, was sixteen. Like, where you, where you from? Yeah, I'm only seventeen years old. <laughs> Lola was sixteen, seventeen. Be back for the streetlights. Come on. Oh yeah. Well, in the town that I grew up in, I told y'all this before. I know I've mentioned it. Um, we have a bell that went off. It was for the black people in the town for them to get off. Off the street. Oh, yeah, she and, grew up in slavery. Hey, yeah, the you had a sundown town. You, you yeah. lived in a sundown. Yeah, yeah. There's sundown like, town. so there's, the real a, there's a train track that went through the whole entire thing. That thing is still segregated for black uh, 
coloreds and uh, whites wow. still segregated. And then like, so on the side of the tracks, it was a black side of town. And then on the other side, it's considered the white side. But at 6.30 every day, to this day, if you go to this town, this bell goes off. And they tell that, they tell everybody now it's for the kids to go home. But that was the nigga bell. And they can lie all they want to. But that was for black people to get off the streets in town. Because that town was like, I mean, they're still fucking. Like, yeah, they, you go down there, black people still wear crocus sacks. Man. They tie pants up with a rope. It's, they, like that, it's like that movie. Movie Antebellum, you seen it? over there. <laughs> nah, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Hey man, shout out down there. I'm just, we just messing with y'all, man. Y'all still, y'all. No, I'm from there. Fuck them. <laughs> yeah, if they racist. Hey, that's a that's a pretty good segue, Sam, uh, because we see that your art has like a lot of black empowerment representation. Mm. Um, do you want to you want to expand on that? Like, let us know where, where is that inspiration coming from and what inspires? Oh, well, it, I won't say it started here, but um, I was a roller derby skater for six years in Houston. I still skate. Whoa. Roller derby. Yeah, I did roller derby. derby. <laughs> I did roller derby. Uh, yeah, she's young. <laughs> and I, um, right now I ramp, I ramp and, and park skate. I do aggressive skating. Um, mm. And I have aggressive a, skating. <laughs> I have a mini, I have a mini ramp in my backyard right now. So oh, um, playing roller derby, it, it's, it still is, but I started in 2010. Um, it's a pretty white sport. So it has the, it has a, a a pretty white culture so you know doing all the skating going to tournaments and and uh babbling for skating all all the merchandise i would see at all these events it was all white like nobody had anything that represented the black population and demographic that skated and we all paid our dues like you know this is a pay-to-play sport you pay dues at your league and you pay for all these tournaments and all these uniforms and all this travel and it's a sport you love and you know it got it aggravated me that I didn't see any of us in the merch. And of course, I understood why. It's a white sport. Why would they represent us? And same for, you know, Latinos. No people of color were being represented in this sport. So I just started making stuff for me. Um, the stuff that I wanted to see uh, out there. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of Black people, we have a skate group called Black Roller Derby Network uh, that was started, I think it was started 2011 or 2012 by a couple of skaters um, who wanted to kind of gather us all together and have a space where we could all talk about the stuff that you went know, on. And it, it, girl that does it too. Her name is uh, Michelle Burt. We don't know. We don't know real names. Everybody go by derby names. <laughs> I was like, nobody hey, I don't know her name. Nobody knows real you names know. unless you're like cool, cool. But everybody goes by their derby names. Um, yeah, I'm gonna find out, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you later. I'm gonna find out. That, that's, yeah, just put a pin in that. I know she. So does. you have to know her. Probably do. Um, because so from there, I was I started sharing my artwork in the roller derby black roller derby network, and everybody's like, "Yeah, where you where you get that from?" And I was like, "I made it. It's for me." So a lot more people started requesting my artwork, um, and they really encouraged me to put it out there. So um, I talked about it with one of my mentors, and I was like, you know, he was like, you know, just start where you are. Start where you have a niche, and skating was it. Roller derby was was that so niche. You did that like created the style that you are today from just initially doing it for ro roller derby it like I'm, no i've been drawn this way i've been drawn this way for a while but definitely it's 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 gotten cultivated and changed over the years do you use a lot of your 3d stuff to create your personal product um 
really. Um, I do a lot, I do woodwork because I work part time at Make ATX. It's a laser cutting studio, um, but that's just the part of it. Like knowing how to set those cut files up. Um, I did exhibit design in Houston the whole time I lived there, pretty much. So knowing how to do CAD work. Mm, sometimes it comes in if I'm doing something crazy 3D, but. Most of my work, my traditional work and my digital work is all 2D. So skating kind of got me out of my shell of putting my work out there and and thinking and knowing that I could possibly make a living off of being a full-time artist. So while I was an exhibit designer, I started mixed shoes on the side like a lot of people do um, because you have that security of a, constant, a consistent paycheck. I started mixed shoes in 2015. I signed myself up for a big roller derby convention that we do every year called RollerCon in Las Vegas. I had no artwork for it. Like so much fun. I had, yeah, it's a week long. It's a week long roller con- roller derby convention, and it's like parties and yeah. classes, wow. and it's a week long of awesome. It's kind of like our family reunion because we all get together and we see people from all over the country and the world because roller derby is international that you haven't seen. What's so, training? What's training like for roller derby? Oh, uh, it's about you. You have about mm, three to four days with your league. Um, and if you're hardcore, you train outside of your league's practices. Practices range from two to three hours so um you could when i was active i was training on my own um and with my league so about well, how, much, how much experience do you have to do to participate i didn't know how to skate when i started they taught me how to skate and like, <laughs> I heard that it's like you have to try out to be so, like, so if you don't have any like skills in it like you trying out they will still pick you either well way. You, you you go directly I went after I tried out after skating for like a few months. I knew I wasn't going to make it, but I wanted to see where I was. So yeah. you, usually people stay in rec league and get their skills up and then they try oh, out. Okay. I, I tried out. I tried out twice before I made a home team. So it's a lot. It's a lot of training. It is a lot. And, and so you when you say, you say rec league, that's just going people, in. <laughs> people that, well, no, rec league is for people who uh, don't have the time to commit to home team or travel team. They just want to do it recreationally so that's usually you know but you one. still get set on a team and everything and um it depends on if the rec league has a team rec league usually they don't depending on the league they don't usually you know have a set team but rec league is kind of like people that just want to do it lightweight one or two a week but even still rec league can still be exceptionally like challenging depending on your league oh yeah most definitely it definitely if you don't really understand anything or like mm-hmm. get it it's still going to be hard like it's mm-hmm. not something you have to learn a whole trade yep so once I stopped skating consistently, I became a trainer for my rec league. So I would train all the new girls. Um, you know, we had levels from one to three. And the girls who are, are you know, thinking about or people who are thinking about um, joining a home team, you know, they, they move up in the, in the ranks and they kind of let you know, hey, I want to join home team. You know, they, they a little bit more extra into it. But um, what, yeah. Did you ever purposely advertise mixed hues while you're playing? Like having mixed hues like on your shirt or something oh yeah i mean my home team was like mad supportive um at our games you know we have we would have vendor spaces at our games so that's where i kind of started at all all of our home home games or um after i had to stop playing after i I stopped playing consistently and just went to training you know i would set up and vend at our games so it was kind of like and um, do you make just you make t-shirts socks what do you do like what products do you do out of your artwork my traditional art my watercolors all my illustrations um from that sticker stickers buttons lapel pins i was doing apparel 
out of uh, out of demand, actually. I didn't want to do any apparel. Mm-hmm. People kept asking for my designs to take them to other printers, or I didn't want to hand out my designs because you lose control over your work that way. Most definitely, you don't know what happens it, once it leaves your Right. Who, what, what people are doing with the files, not saying people are doing some nefarious shit, but I wanted to make sure I had control over my intellectual property. So, so what are some of the apparel things that you've made besides the prints and stickers? Um, shirts, bags, um, and I, I make them myself. I, uh, buckled down and invested into a, a large format printer. Um, there you go. Large format digital printer. And I, I learned, um, I learned what it all, what all went into making it. And so I weighed. Do you like wholesale blank, uh, mm-hmm products and then you just go and print it yourself because you have yep. the equipment and stuff. Yep. All right, I got a question because I, mm-hmm. I got a question about that. How yes, much did you this. chunk out for that, that printer that you received and how large does it print? My printer was uh, about a little under 9,000. Sounds brand new. Right. It was a Roland and I worked with Roland um, at my exhibit design company in Houston because we did, we did wall installations and stuff for the Texans and the Rockets. So I learned um, about the equipment there and um, learned how to use it on my own. Um, I didn't want to go the screen printing route because it took up too much space and I knew the inks and the equipment and all that would be way more time consuming than I wanted to put in having a full-time job starting. So, um, press, materials, uh, all my substrates, all my papers, all my vinyls, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, right out the box, maybe maybe ten grand. And do you think that it's uh worth doing it that way opposed to people getting it pre-made, like made by another company? Do you feel like it? I don't know. It yields for for me. It for me it was worth it because I can print on demand and not have to get all this product made and not knowing what's gonna sell and how long we're gonna have to keep it storing things like it was for me it was just more cost effective and more time effective to do print on demand so i would do tournaments i would pre-print all of my designs and keep them in an accordion folder because they're flat i would pre-print all my vinyl designs take my heat press and a smaller vinyl cutter with me to do names and numbers because at tournaments we'll always need names and numbers because they're jumping in games they don't have their shirts with them so i was able to bring pre-printed designs and a small stock of blank apparel without having to pre-print everything and worry about, well, I have 30 designs. Which design do I print? Do I get all 30 pre-printed? That's a waste of money for somebody who doesn't really want to do apparel. Yeah, that's most definitely true. How's the calibration working with machines like that? Um, it's pretty simple. Um, you mean color calibrations? Well, you know how sometimes like printers, any like even laser cutters, they all have their little niche that you have to like set up and have ready before like the printing process actually comes out um, exactly was- the way you want it that was pretty straightforward i mean you just have to learn the ripping software as far as how it translates your files to the printer to read it other than that it's keeping it clean um the machine that i got is very persnickety as far as like uh the print head i've had to replace that print head to the tune of three thousand dollars a pop so it's not how often have you had to do that i've done i think i've done it twice and i've had it i got it in 2015 or 2016 because i use it a lot but also Mm -hmm. if you let the ink sit uh it can clog the print head so those printers are are an an investment and it's a lot of uh so are you recommending every time you print you remove the ink no 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 it's like um you You just have have to keep it clean you have to to keep the print head clean and you have to keep Mm -hmm. the 
Like that printer has to stay powered on. It's not on, but it's connected to power, so it runs through cleaning cycles. So you can also yes. print direct to fabric? Uh, this one, no. This one can print on all kinds of vinyl, all kinds of photo papers, canvas. Oh. Um, it can print on everything, but it's not direct to, to garment, no. Question. Yes. <laughs> I, this is a two-part question, okay? Yes. First, has the machine paid for itself? Second, are you taking orders to do <laughs> <laughs> print? <laughs> and are you like working with like certain people, like certain artists, like myself, uh, mm. to to create these these uh, prints? So first question, yes, it's paid for itself. Um, I would not be able to do mixed shoes without that machine. Like the amount of prints I've done, stick. I can do my own stickers because it kiss cuts. It doesn't die cut. It doesn't cut the backing paper, but that gets thrown away anyway. I know people like die cut stickers and cool to see the shape but the backing paper gets thrown away. As long as it cuts the design, that's all I really needed. The bigger machines, um, mine is a 20 inch machine to answer your previous question. 20 inches wide, it prints however long. Cause I didn't know how this was gonna work out starting out. So I didn't get the biggest, most expensive machine. Got the smallest version for rolling. So I could kind of dip my toe in and see how it was working. So it has paid for itself. Two, yes, I got. I also got the printer to do small print runs for other artists because that was the reason I got it too. I got tired of sending my work to online printers or even local printers. You have to wait for them to send you a proof. You might get your work back and it might not look like you want it to look. With my own printer, I can color check everything. I can print out one little swatch and be like, oh, okay, this is not how I want it. Go back to my computer, go back to my print, fix it and reprint it. And the other thing, I don't need 200 units of something. I, what At a I, minimum. Right, or 50 units of something. What if I just need, you You got a pop-up coming up this weekend. All you need is 10 or 20 prints of one print. And like I said, if you have 30 different illustrations that you want to show or sell, that's a lot of money taking that to a printer. Mm -hmm. So I figured, again, talking to someone else in business um, who I valued their opinion and their experience, he was like, Go ahead, invest in that. You need to invest in this if this is what you're going to do. It was really scary to, you know, go to the bank and be like, I need an equipment loan for $9,000. Yeah. Please give me money. <laughs> so yeah, I can see that a lot of people fear that to have that debt because they don't right. just unknowing if you're going to make that money back or if it's yep. going to yield out so a lot of them don't want to take the risk right but I well, also it, comes with interest. it does it's cheaper than $100,000 right and I school. also invested um, I got I got approved for a small business loan because it helped improve my credit like a lot of people like you said don't realize you need a solid credit history for this weird ass system we have to adhere to to even look at you as a viable business. So getting that SBA loan, um, it was a small amount. And I actually ended up needing it when my print head broke. It covered the cost of my print head breaking and paying that back responsibly and on time or early helps your credit. Do so, you ever have someone helping you run the machine? Or no. It's all you. It's me. That's all her. Yeah, it's I, me. I, go ahead, Damon. So what was your, like, original trajectory, right? I assume that since you learned, did you created this business based on your experience with mm -hmm. roller derby. That wasn't, like, what you went to school for or what you were, nope. were uh, training to do. So what, yeah. what was sort of the original, like, like dream or, or how are you going to gonna, gonna uh, use your talent? I wanted to work for myself. Honestly, I wanted to see if that was feasible because um, when I first moved to Houston from Miami, the job, you know, 
that moved me to Houston, paid for my move and everything. It was a 3D job. I was there in months, the 11th month, they laid off seven of us. And here, here I was in a whole nother state. Like, I don't know anybody. I'm not from here. I'm not from Houston. And I'm like, they just laid us off. Like it was nothing. And I had, thank goodness, like moving from Miami to Houston was a big jump in pay. So I had savings, which a lot of people don't have that six to 10 months savings saved up. And thank goodness I did. Um, or I'd have been in trouble. So after the first layoff, I was like, okay, I'm just going to stay in my industry. So I got, you know, I worked odd jobs while I waited for um, another job in my field. And I got that. Um, and I stayed in Houston and worked as, as an exhibit, exhibit and product designer. And then again, uh, the exhibit design company I worked for, we did a lot of oil and gas industry stuff. Oil Houston, and gas, so. right. The oil and gas. <laughs> but when the 2012, oil and, that was when the 2012, and, right? Because I was yeah. working in the oil field at that mm-hmm. time, 20, so, 2011, 2012. That, that went bust. That went belly up. Yes. So we did a lot of exhibits for uh, all the big conventions for the oil and gas industry. That went belly up. So I was the last designer hired. They let me go. I I, I shit you not. The day I got laid off, I went to lunch and I called my boyfriend. I was like, I haven't had any work for weeks. Like literally I was coming in working on my portfolio because you had a feeling we had no work. And I was like, if I was my boss, I would lay me off. They (laughs) They paying me $30 an hour just to sit here and do my own work. Yeah. I shit you not, I came back from lunch before the end of the day, my boss was like, I'm really, I need you to come to my office. I'm really sorry to do this. <laughs> and I was like, you're laying me off. He was, I was like, I knew it. Cause it was weeks. I, we didn't yeah. have any work. Um, you so after, still have, do you still have Like they were waiting for you now? to leave on your own like, and you didn't get the mint. I'm gonna sit here in this cubicle real quiet <laughs> and get this money. Is somebody gonna tell Sam she fired and we just gonna let her keep showing up? <laughs> it was like office space. We're gonna keep moving your office to the basement. They ain't no, they ain't moving my office. Yeah, that office space, the office space movie, and then just all like, you're ready. We're just gonna stop paying them. We're just gonna stop paying them. See if she keeps showing up. Like, she's still out there. She's working on, I don't know what she's doing. She's drawing some pictures or something. Right. I don't know what she's doing in that corner. But I don't know what she's doing at a desk. I understood. I understood. But at the time, I was just like, either I try to do this or I go back into another safe job, which no no nine to five is safe because you can get laid off anytime as everybody has seen this. If this year hasn't been an example of that, um, when companies need to tighten their belts, they need to tighten their belts. Uh, so this is such an inspirational story because you got to think about it. Like most people who are, uh, Finding themselves following their creative field have to take that leap, right? They have to have that burning desire to work for themselves because it's not easy. Oh, it's hard. It's hard, right? (laughs) But you have have a job. So many aspects of you making money are already secured. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about it. When you're working for yourself, um, it, it, it... it's a lot involved in it. How was that transition for you? How was taking on new customers and, and working out those contracts? How did that work for you? How, how was that transition for you? I mean, it was it was kind of, um, first of all, my partner was like the support system I needed. You have to have a support system, be it partner, a family member, a friend, a co- whoever. You got to have some kind of help. People that say they did this by yourself is lying. <laughs> a certain amount is, is you. And you only, because you have to do the actual work, you have to have some kind of help. So they told me at the time that, um, because I was living in Houston and he was living in Austin. 
So, you know, we decided to co- consolidate homes. And I was like, yeah, there's no point in me staying here in Houston and us driving back and forth. So I moved here. We consolidated homes. And he was like, I want you to work on your business. Don't worry about it. I got you. So that eased a lot of stress and tension about taking the jump and taking the leap. Um, having the the luxury to have money saved up. Um, but I, I had already started doing it at, with a full-time job. So it had gotten momentum and people in the roller derby community had started to know. Oh, something that's really good to do too. It is. While you're still working and you have a yep. business. Because that's how I did mine too. It's mm-hmm. like, like, I felt like it was such an easier transition. Yeah, it is. Craft, you know? I, I recommend people to do that if they already have a nine to five and they want to start branching out on their own. Don't up and quit. That's dumb because right. uh, unless it's something that's heavily toxic to you and it's making you physically ill, don't quit. Um, yeah, keep that. I still suggest even if you have to leave that job, go to another one. Like mm-hmm. I worked like a whole year before uh, and had my business before I actually like stepped away and like yep. started doing it. And I still, you know, I'm married. So I always tell people that like, you know, I'm a married person with a another person bringing in income. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. don't have that security, you can't just leave. You can't just leave your fucking mm-hmm. job. And every situation is different too, like because yep. like yeah. I, I mean, a lot you got a lot of artists that walk 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 that that line, right? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm one of those artists, right? So I I I still work my forty hour a week job. The um the only thing that makes it even possible for me to do any sort of thing, sort of creative, is that I have a, a flexible schedule. Like I can take time right. off fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people don't have a job like that. Like you know, you oh. know depending on what you have, um, you may just you know, it, regardless, you're gonna have to burn the midnight oil either way but right uh, yep. every situation is different and I feel like that's 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 like a big sticking point like you you can you can go on and on for like entrepreneurship as far as like whether you should keep a job whether you should have a, a side gig even if it's just like a little part time for the stability yeah like, it's, 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 it's a tough one to answer yeah because I definitely would come home from my nine to five and just work on my own stuff at night and that's the way it was until they laid me off and I was like well lay me off either I try to do this or I woulda, shoulda, coulda for the rest of my life. Well, what was the time frame uh, until like you felt mixed hues was pretty stable? I still don't think it's pretty stable. When I don't have to have any outside income is when that shit's stable. Because I still I still do a part time job. Like I said, I work about 28, 28 hours a week at the laser cutting. Studio. You said you started in two thousand six. So four years? Um. Well, no, I started the company 2015. Oh, sorry, 2015. Yep. I left. Oh, I, got, oh, I got laid five, off in 2016. Yeah, five years, and you still feel like you. Yeah. It's like hard. I feel like people were unrealistic too. Like when they go and they take that leap, and they're just like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I'm just gonna be making money because I made this little bit of money. I made this no. change. I gave me some. No matter how much recognition you get, right? And no matter how much, like maybe you have like a big spree where you're just like fucking making good money for like a good six months. You're yep. just Beast, 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 and money's just looking real nice. You start feeling yourself and shit. Then the next <laughs> few months come Bam up, it. And it's just like, and it's just all like dry. Well, those crickets are real. <laughs> it, yeah, you definitely, as a creative, have uh, feast or famine seasons. Like when the pandemic hit, I was just I I lost um I lost one of my main contract jobs, and that was half of my income. So I was like, well, shit, this is how it's gonna be this year. I'm just gonna be broke. 
do you sell through a website or I do I do through my website um through my a lot of it just comes uh word of mouth or you know old old clients or people recommending my work um and now that I've gotten more involved with public art here in Austin a lot of that brings eyes to my website or people um finding me that way working with other artists and stuff you're saying yep Yep. Networking with other artists, well, collaborating. She also with other puts her, her web address on uh, part Everything. of her signature. So, <laughs> so if you is. see the art and you're looking for the artist, you're gonna get the yeah, web page. It's everything. <laughs> and people, you know, people started to equate, you know, me, my hair with my logo is a, a woman with a big afro. It's not me. Um is yeah, it's just um I lost my train of thought that quick. So, so we just think we have to, <laughs> I, I mean, because that's, that's perfect. I, have, I was having a conversation with uh, a guy who I just recently did a commission piece with, and he was saying something that stuck with me. He said, you have to scale your success. So if, you're, if you scale your success to saying, oh, I'm going to make $100,000, that's the scale you set. If you right. say that I'm going to impact the youth, that's the scale you set. If you say that mm-hmm. I'm going to have a successful um, a year this year, you, you have to scale your success. Like, And right. that's important when, we, when we're working for ourselves and when we're taking on these uh, these entrepreneurship in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to scale what what is success to us. You know, and what does it look like? Right. And it's not always a financial reward, right? No, it's sometimes it's relationships uh, building, right? And mm-hmm. and that's a that's a big thing. I, I guess that's that's bringing me to my question. My question is like, how has mixed hues uh, scaled its success? Like, what is that level? Where where is that success uh, sitting at with with mixed hues? It's having people recognize my work by sight. Like I do a lot of different themes in my work, but having people still see some kind of cohesiveness in that work is like as that's the shit to me <laughs> because I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel like I have a recognizable style per se, but I guess I have cultivated and made my own style because it yeah, doesn't it feel good the first time someone comes up to you and they're like, "You're this and this and that," and you're, you're mixed like, hues, and I'm like. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? I ain't nobody, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, awesome. when you do like pieces of public art, though, you have to you have to remember that you become a part of a person's life. They mm-hmm. might, like, you might be on their commute. They might see your piece every, every day of their life. They see that piece. And when they can finally connect like a face to that one piece, because I'm like one of those people. I see your piece on Mainer Road. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, so so some of those like, I mean, you just you just like you you connect with people in that way. And so I mean, I'm going to try to transition into what I was want, wanted to ask you um, was. So did you have to make a transition from do, like, from like doing like pen and ink and paint and stuff like that um, to to start doing like murals and stuff? Or was were you always kind of like dabbled in like analog art and working with paint and stuff like that? I've already I've always done traditional art. Like I'm a watercolor and ink artist traditionally. That is my main to media. But I always wanted to learn how to spray, how to spray paint, how to do graffiti. Mom wouldn't let me run the streets nowhere in no one's neighborhood in Detroit. <laughs> uh, she had a tight ass rain on all of us. And uh, yeah, I wasn't about to be let out in the streets with spray cans, uh, spraying nobody's walls and businesses. <laughs> so I didn't I didn't learn that. I didn't get to get into that. In the, in, yeah, I didn't get to get into that in the 80s and 90s. Like some other kids got to run the streets and, and spray everything. 
So I'm a late bloomer. So uh, I picked up. How's, how's that trigger finger with the spray can? You start learning the hard way how much yeah. that hurts. Yes. That first, the first few uh, times using it, I was like, my finger. <laughs> but now I'm good. Like I've been doing it. I've been doing it for a, for a year now. Um, and I've gotten a lot more comfortable with it. Of course, I had a mentor in that too. Like you have to have community. Um, well, then let me, let me transition with that because you're do, you've just finished that project that mm-hmm. you were doing um, with Luis at uh, from Something Cool Studios and we have a good relationship with all those guys over there as everybody knows. Uh, tell me how you got to that and how you became a part of that project. Okay, so Raising in the Sun um, uh, curated that whole project with the City of Austin Arts uh, and AIPP, Art in Public Places. Um, They put out a call, I think, in early October that they were looking for artists to do that uh, North Lamar underpass. And that is a huge project because... They haven't had that kind of mural work on that on that wall space ever. Uh, I think Lori, 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 Lauren Frick was the last artist and she had the, if you saw what was down there before, it was long lines of color. But those walls have never had formal mural artwork on there. So that in of itself is a huge, huge thing. Uh, I feel like there's a, a good reason for that, though. It's in the middle of traffic. No, but you get to sit there. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, you're and, always sitting there. And, and painting this, is this wall this past month, um, no, it actually sits like there quite a bit. Yeah, um, but I mean, like, to paint that wall, you're in traffic. Like, you're not, like... Oh, no, no, we're like, on the... There's a sidewalk. Yeah, there's, there's a sidewalk, a sidewalk but it's just, yeah. it's just a sidewalk space, and then it's... The street, road. yeah, I mean, yeah. that's... It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't dangerous. Damon, it ain't the highway. <laughs> right, we weren't on 35. We weren't on 35. He's worried about the ladder falling North into... Lamar. Oh, no, no. What are you talking about? It's not a highway. It's North Lamar. That's four lanes of traffic well there were safety (laughs) precautions there were safety precautions taken a lot of safety precautions we all had to have our safety vests on somebody's holding the ladder for everybody people people were on scaffold so the wall goes from eight inches to at the highest height 20 feet and then it goes back down again on the east side the west side it goes from a little eight inches and then it goes up and then it levels out to 20 feet at the end yeah use 20 feet under a bridge I know, but they had sca- <laughs> they had scaffolds. They had okay. everybody there. Don't let your tragedies uh, <laughs> take the minds of our listeners. Don't be That's your turn. Hey, we started uh, off the theme of this. Let me get back. Let me get back to the project. So, raising the sun, had, she got with the, the city and her her and her team curated this whole project. Um, and they put the call out. It was a jury selection. So. Raising in the Sun and her team had no hand in who got picked. So it was, I think, a jury of six people. And where were the people. people from the city? Uh, some of them were. Some of them were from the city. Let me actually see. Um, some of them were from the city. Some of them were Art in Public Places, mm-hmm. uh, 2D, 2D Tempo Program. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, we had to fill out an application and write our intent as to why we wanted to be a part of the project. So the project is was set out to uplift the city and each artist had their part of the wall to kind of showcase what uplifted us during this pandemic, what uplifts us, and basically promote good mental health and general wellness um, for the city. So people have something good to look at, something good to reflect on. So did you have to write something up to uh, apply for it? Like uh, like your story, your background? Uh, they asked us a couple, they asked us a few questions, um, general questions and kind of, uh, I forgot what the 
main question was as to why we wanted to be a part of this project, basically. And I want to be a part of this project because this has affected uh, everyone on the global scale. Everyone has been touched by this pandemic. No one can say uh, that they haven't. Either you've lost someone or you've gotten sick, you lost your job, your job has been furloughed, you're working from home now. The levels of loss and depression people are experiencing right now, and myself included, I felt like I wanted to speak to that. Um, and what's been going on this year, it's just it's insane. The amount of, of change and it's, 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 it's stifling. So I was just honest and open and basically in my question, I wanted to do this because it's affected me on, you know, cellular level. And, and I want to talk about what little bit has uplifted me during this time. Besides painting, what are some other ways that you've gone about coping with the pandemic? Um, I love to cook and eat anyway. So I went down a, a deep dive on baking, er, making everything from scratch. <laughs> making everything from scratch. Um, I was gardening before the pandemic, but my garden exploded into a backyard oasis with bird feeders and everything else. Gardening <laughs> <laughs> um, is a good one. Like you always hear people oh, yeah. like, taking up like cooking and stuff like that. And like Lola said, taking up crap. I grew everything. Is a good one. I grew everything back there. Like I was growing things, but uh, not food. A lot of people were doing like more of the basic things. Oh no, I was, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm mad serious. <laughs> <laughs> so what are what are some ways you would like for artists to network with you and reach out with you and work with you? Um, Instagram is always an amazing spot to contact me. My website, you can contact me directly um, well, through through mixed use. I guess what I'm mean asking is like, what type of project are you looking for now that you're moving on from the bridge? I'm looking for more public art projects. I want to put more art up in the city. Um, living on the east side. Uh, there's art here and there's always graffiti art around town, but Northeast Austin is kind of barren. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing more art up here. Um, I finished a project in September with Cat Metro to put art at the Norwood, um, Norwood station, Norwood transit station off of 183 at that Walmart up there. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. I, I just applied to, um, the corridor project that, Art in Public Places is putting on a huge yeah. project around town. I think nine different sites. They're trying to put up 20-year projects, and uh, artists are applying for that right now. I applied for the MLK corridor because I live right off of 183 and MLK. Um, but yeah. All I hear is you have an application. You have an application. You have an application. <laughs> you have to. It's all like, what? You have to though. Yes. You, have to keep, you have to keep on. And, I, and my goal was to, this year was to step out into more public art. And that to return to your question about what, the success look like for mixed use. What that success was for me was to put myself out there and apply for more public art projects. Um, and I got quite a few this year and that pretty much carried me through COVID financially. If I wasn't able to get these projects, I don't think I would have made it financially. This so year. do you think it's like pretty cutthroat when you start applying to these, um, to these uh, public projects? You think I, don't think it, I don't think it's cutthroat. I think a lot of people do apply for them, but so, like some projects, they're asking people to apply for them. I was a lot, about to say, it's a like lot of people, sometimes they're looking for people. <laughs> right. They're like, we yeah. got, we got 30 applicants. We need some more applicants. Um, Why do you think it's not, it's, let's so, say it is, 
So why would they need thirty? They get thirty applicants, right? Is right. all thirty of those people going to be working on the project? Well, they just no, want to. No. They want a more diverse crowd of people. They want. Yeah. Right. They want. That's they exactly want. What I was gonna well, say. It's not a lot of us applying. Yeah, people so I've, yeah, I've sat on a few of these panel. Well, I've sat on a selection panel. I've been a part of a selection panel. So um, they're really advocating for a POC mm-hmm. people of color to yep. be. Uh, at the forefront because uh, we have been forgotten in this realm of public art. Like right. Our expression has been taken for granted and through COVID and George Floyd and, and uh, Breonna Taylor and with all of these uh, injustices happening, like it's like it's like they're coming around to seeing that our expression and our voices are valued. And now they want a lot more people of color to be applying for these uh, for these, these, so what, ju- what, what these, the these, these projects. So I'm, I'm asking because, you know, I'm not in mm-hmm. this. I'm not in this world, right? Right. So, like, how much is the percentage of POC that are applying now? Because most of the artists that I know that do public work are POC. So I'm just all like, who? Well, for for these big for these big projects like the the corridor project, like Art in Public Places into the Temple specifically said we want more diversity in our projects, especially when this stuff is popping up in our neighborhoods and you don't necessarily see us getting those jobs. So that's a big part of it. It's not a large percentage of, of people of color, and yeah, it's popping up in our neighborhoods. And so my question is, they want more um, POC artists doing it. Is it because none are applying? Because no, so- I feel like it's just that they're looking for a certain caliber of POC, and isn't that equally as shitty, I think? No, they're, they're just they, like that. They want a more diverse voice. Going from the, the, the art information meetings that I go to, they want more diverse voices, not just the same, for, for one, not the same artists being repeated. Um, mm-hmm. They get a lot of too. Right, because a, a lot of the same people get some of, the, some of the same projects all over the city, which is why you see certain people's art everywhere. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't mind being one of those artists, but... <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, they want they want a broader group. And the other reason some people might not apply is because some of these projects you have to write an essay, and some people don't want to write that. Grant writing and, and project bidding is not just let me fill out this simple application and shoot my artwork over. No, some of these things are uh, extensive, ten page long applications with a full essay. And if you don't feel confident in writing skills, which I don't, I always have somebody proofread it and 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 edit it for me to make sure that my what I'm trying to say is coming across the way I want it said and just speaking to other artists some people don't feel like filling out them applications which is why these projects don't get a good uh take of artists to be in the jury process me i'll sit down there and agonize over it and do it and send it and ask for help um Man, i leave tabs open tight oh laughing at me because <laughs> my like, window like 50 yeah my window is like 50 mm-hmm. tabs but it's like things, i got 10 open right now yeah it's like it's just like <laughs> me partially typing into some shit and then i'm like i can't do this anymore and then i'll yep. move to another tab and then i'll come back and keep typing yep. and stuff like yeah, that that, that uh, application process is grueling. But one nice thing about one thing about um art in public places and um public art um uh, the website is that you can set up a profile and once you do it one time, you pretty much have um a base structure mm-hmm. that that you don't have to go in and edit and upload every time you apply for a project. So right. it makes the application process simple. So all about ATX started social listeners go out there to public art in public places. Um, go out to publicartist.org. Um, any. 
artist, any artist dot org. Uh, we love we love those sites because they they're offering uh, contracts nationwide, and yep. these contracts range from two thousand dollars up to a million. Uh, yep. up to or more uh and they're nationwide so uh you 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 throw your line out there in the water and hope hopefully you catch a fish um so so yeah that that's a uh, big shout out to AIPP and all of those people over there Sue Lamb Marjorie Flanagan. she's awesome Sue is awesome Sue is awesome, and I love Sue so much. Um, she she she's she's always making sure she gets upset with me when I don't apply for some of these yep. projects. So and she stops uh, and talks to you about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So it's it's good to have that relationship over there, Sam. We 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 want our uh, ATX artist social listeners to be able to reach out to you, get some of this insight, maybe possibly work with you on some projects. Um, so we want to leave them a, a few, uh, letting you give out your contact info, your website, your your uh, Instagram and all of that. So can you hit our ATXR social listeners with that info? Uh, you can re- reach me at mixedhues.com on Instagram, mixed underscore hues. Um, just Google mixed hues. Like you can find me that way through Facebook, Instagram, and my website. Um, and I'm always around town doing something. You might see me out in the street painting something to say hi. We're going to see you in the streets, girl. Oh, I'm out here in these streets. <laughs> I'm here in these streets. In these streets. Big cues, man. I'm I'm about to be following you on Instagram. You're gonna be getting a DM from me. I would love to work with you. Um, definitely for our ATX artist social listeners out there, go ahead and follow her. Visit the website, check out her work. Um, we're and and all of the artists out there who are listening on the ATX artist social podcast. Get with her for your prints. I'm pretty sure she would love to work with you. You know what I'm saying? Um, before we get out of here, are there any other questions from our panel? Damon? No, I'm good. What you calling me? <laughs> well, <laughs> you good, always you be coming in with these last minute questions. <laughs> like, you've been holding the shit the whole interview. You're like, ah, I've been waiting for quite some time. <laughs> so we can't wait to showcase your work. We're going to be posting your work for the next week, the next seven days. You are the Thank you on another week. Thank so you. we will be pushing people to go ahead and, you know, be engaged and involved in your art. Um, so with that being said, ATX started social team. Y'all help me give a oh, I got a one more question to Sam. No, oh, okay. I can't. Stand. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know that was I got happening one more right now. Did you build a bank track? You got a bank track? Some your own personal bank track somewhere? In the no, I have a mini ramp in my backyard though. Okay, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> another serious with it, Damon. I'm done now. How do you do, Damon? How do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. It's, it's a wrap. It's a wrap.